Chapter 5 of With Clive in India. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Gary Oman. Madras. After the young writers had seen the native town, they returned to the beach and spent the afternoon watching the progress of landing the cargo of the Lizzie Anderson. They were pleased to see their own luggage safely ashore, as it would have been greatly damaged had the boat containing it been swamped, a misfortune which happened to several of the boats laden with cargo. It was very amusing each time that one of the boats arrived to see a crowd of natives rush down into the water waist-deep, seize it, and drag it up beyond the next wave. Many of them would be knocked down, and some swept out by the retreating wave only to return on the next roller. All could swim like fish, and any of these events were greeted with shouts of laughter by the rest. When the packages were landed, a rope was put around them, and through this a long bamboo pole was inserted, which would be lifted on to the shoulders of two, four, or six porters, according to its weight, and these would go off at a hobbling sort of trot with their burden to the factory. Their own baggage was taken up to the quarters allotted to them, and at the hour named for dinner the newcomers met, for the first time, those with whom they were to be associated. All were dressed in white suits, and Charlie was struck with the pallor of their faces, and the listless air of most of them. The gentlemen to whom they had first been introduced made them acquainted with the others. How refreshingly healthy and well you look! a young man of some six-and-twenty years old named johnson said i was something like that when i first came out here though you'd hardly think it now eight years of stewing in this horrible hole takes the life and spirits out of anyone however there's one consolation after eight or ten years of quill driving in a stuffing room one becomes a little more one's own master and one's duties begin to be a little more varied and pleasant. One gets a chance of being set up occasionally with goods or on some message or other to one of the native princes, and then one gets treated like a prince and sees that India is not necessarily so detestable as we have contrived to make it here. The only bearable time of one's life is the few hours after dinner when one can sit in a chair in the veranda and smoke and look at the sea. Some of the fellows play billiards and cards, but if you will take my advice, you won't go in for that sort of thing. It takes a lot out of you, and fellows that do it are between you and me in the bad books of the bigwigs. Beside, they lose money, get into debt, and all sorts of mischief comes of it. The speaker was sitting between Charlie and Peters, and was talking in a low tone of voice which would not be overheard by the others. Thank you, Charlie said. I, for one, will certainly take your advice. I suppose one can buy ponies here. I should think a good ride every morning early before work would do one good. Yes, it is not a bad thing, Johnson said. A good many fellows do it when they first come out here. But after a time they lose their energy, you see, though some do keep it up. What appetites you fellows have. It does one good to see you eat. I have not the least idea what we are eating, Charlie said, laughing. But it's really very nice, whatever it is. 
but there seems an immense quantity of pepper or hot stuff of some kind or another which one would have thought in this tremendous heat would have made one hotter instead of cooler yes their new friend answered no doubt all this pepper and curry do heat the blood you see it is done to tempt the appetite meat here is fearfully coarse and tasteless our appetites are poor and were it not for these hot sauces we should eat next to nothing will you have some bananas they are nice and cool peter said as having peeled the long fruit as he saw his companion doing he took a bite of one but they have very little taste most of our fruit is tasteless johnson said except indeed the mango and mangosteen they are equal to any english fruit in flavor but i would give them all for a good english apple its sharpness would be delicious here and now as you have done if you will come and sit in the veranda of my room we will smoke a cigar and have something cool to drink and i will answer as well as i can the questions you've asked me about the state of things here when they had sealed themselves in the extremely comfortable cane chairs in a veranda facing the sea and had lit their cigars their friend began madras isn't much of a place now but you should have seen it before the french had it our chiefs think of nothing but trade and care nothing how squalid and miserable is the place in which they make money the french have larger ideas they transform this place cleared away that portion of the native town which surrounded the factory and fort made wide roads formed an esplanade improved and strengthened the fortifications forbade the natives to throw all their rubbish and offal on the beach and made in fact a decent place of it we hardly knew it when we came back and whatever the company may have thought we were thoroughly grateful for the french occupation one good result too is that our quarters have been greatly improved for not only did the french build several new houses but at present all the big men the council and so on are still living at fort st david which is still the seat of administration so you see we have got better quarters we are rid of the stenches and nuisances of the native town the plague of flies which made our life a burden is abated and we can sit here and enjoy the cool sea breeze without it being poisoned before it reaches us by the heaped-up filth on the beach it must have wrung duplex's heart to give up the place over which they expended so much pains and after all it didn't go away with the fighting in april we sent a force from fort st david before we came back here four hundred and thirty white soldiers and a thousand sepoys under the command of captain cope to aid a fellow who had been turned out of the rajahship of tanjore i believe he was a great blackguard and the man who had taken his place was an able ruler liked by the people then why should we interfere in behalf of the other charlie asked my dear marriott their host said compassionately you are very young yet and quite new to india you will see after a time that right has nothing at all to do with the dealings of the company in their relations to the native princes we are at present little people living here on sufferance among a lot of princes and powers who are enemies and rivals of each other 
we have moreover as neighbours another european colony considered stronger than we are the consequence is the question of right cannot enter into the considerations of the company it may be said that for every petty kingdom in southern india there are at least two pretenders very often half a dozen so far we have not meddled much in their quarrels but the french have been much more active that way they always side with one or the other of these pretenders and when they get the man they support into power of course he repays them for their assistance in this matter as i shall explain to you presently they have virtually made themselves masters of the carnatic outside the walls of fort st david and this place well our people thought to take a leaf out of the french book and as ex roger offered us in payment for our aid the possessions of devakota a town at the mouth of the river colrun a place likely to be of great use to us we agreed to assist him cope with the land forces had marched to the border of tanjore territory and the guns and heavy baggage were to go by sea but unfortunately we had a tremendous gale just after they sailed the admiral's flagship the namur of seventy-four guns the pembroke of sixty and the hospital ship apollo were totally lost and the rest of the fleet scattered in all directions cope ended the tanjore territory but found the whole population attached to the new rajah it was useless for him therefore to march upon tanjore which is a really strong town so he marched down to devokota where he hoped to find some of the fleet not a ship however was to be seen and as without guns cope could do nothing he returned here as we had just taken possession again then he went to fort st david and there was a great discussion among the bigwigs it was clear from what cope said that our man had not a friend in his own country still as he pointed out devakota was a most important place for us neither madras nor fort st david had a harbour and devakota therefore where the largest ships can run up the river and anchor would be of immense utility to us as this was really the reason for which we had gone into the affair it was decided to repeat the attempt by this time major lawrence who commands the whole of the company's forces in india and who had been taken a prisoner of one of the french sorties at the siege of pondicherry had been released so he was put at the head of the expedition and the whole of the company's english troops eight hundred in all including the artillery and fifteen hundred sepoys started on board ship for devakota i must tell you that lawrence is a first-rate fellow the only really good officer we have out here and the affair couldn't have been in the hands of a better man the ships arrived safely at the mouth of the colon and the troops were landed on the bank of the river opposite the town where lawrence intended to erect his batteries as in the first place the shore behind the town was swampy and in the second the rajah of tanjore who had got news of our coming had his army encamped there to support the place lawrence got his guns in position and fired away across the river at the earthen wall of the town 
in three days he had a breach the enemy didn't return our fire but occupied themselves in throwing up an entrenchment across the side of the fort we made a raft and crossed the river but the enemy matchlock men peppered us so severely that we lost thirty english and fifty sepoys in getting over the enemy's entrenchment was not finished but in front of it was a deep rivulet which had to be crossed lawrence gave the command of the storming party to clive he is one of our fellows a queer restless sort of chap who was really no good here for he hated his work and always seemed to think himself a martyr he was not a favorite among us for he was often gloomy and discontented though he had his good points he was straightforward and manly and he put down two or three fellows here who had been given to bully the young ones in a way that astonished them he would never have made a good servant of the company for he so hated his work that when he had been out here about a year he tried to blow out his brains he snapped the pistol twice at his head but it didn't go off though it was loaded all right strange wasn't it so he came to the conclusion that he wasn't meant to kill himself and went on living till something should turn up yes charlie said dr ray spoke to us about him during the voyage he knew him at the siege of fort st david and pondicherry yes johnson said he came out there quite in a new light he got transferred into the military service and was always in the middle of the fighting major lawrence had a high opinion of him and so selected him to lead the storming party it really seemed almost as if he had a charmed life lawrence gave him thirty-three english soldiers and seven hundred sepoys the rest of the force were to follow as soon as clive's party gained the entrenchments clive led the way with his europeans with the sepoy supporting behind and got across the rivulet with a loss of only four men he waited on the other bank till he saw the sepoys climbing up and then again led the english on in advance towards the unfinished part of the entrenchment the sepoys however did not move but remained waiting for the main body to come up the enemy let clive and his twenty-nine men get on some distance in advance and then their cavalry which had been hidden by a projection of the fort charged suddenly down on him they were upon our men before they had time to form and in a minute twenty-six of them were cut to pieces clive and the other three managed to get through the tanjore horsemen and rejoin the sepoys that was almost as narrow a shave for his life as with the pistol lawrence now crossed with his main body and advanced again the tanjore horsemen charged but this time we were prepared and lawrence let them come on till within a few yards and then gave them a volley which killed fourteen and sent the rest scampering away lawrence pushed forward the garrison panic-stricken at the defeat of their cavalry abandoned the breach and escaped to the opposite side of town and devakota was ours a few days later we captured the fortified temple of uchipurin a hundred men were left there and these were afterwards attacked by the rajah of tanjore with five thousand men but they held their own and beat them off a very gallant business that these affairs 
showed the rajah that the english could fight a point which hitherto the natives had been somewhat sceptical about they were afraid of the french but they looked upon us as mere traders he had too other things to trouble him as to the state of the carnatic and so hastened to make peace he agreed to pay the expenses of the war and to cede us devocata and some territory around it and to allow the wretched ex-rajah in whose cause we had pretended to fight a pension of four hundred a year on condition that we kept him shut up in one of our forts not a very nice business on our side was it still we had gained our point and with the exception of the ex-rajah who was a bad lot after all no one was discontented when the peace was signed our force returned to fort st david while they had been away there had been a revolution in the carnatic now this was rather a complicated business but as the whole situation at present turns upon it and it will not improbably cause our expulsion from southern india i will explain it to you as well as i can now you must know that all southern india with the exception of a strip along the west coast is governed by a viceroy appointed by the emperor at delhi he was called the subbadar of the deccan up till the end of forty eight nizam ul muluk was viceroy about that time he died and the emperor appointed his grandson musara jung who was the son of a daughter of his to succeed him but the subbadar had left five sons four of these lived at delhi and were content to enjoy their life there the second son however nazir jung was an ambitious man who had rebelled even against his father naturally he rebelled against his nephew he was on the spot when his father died when the new subadar was absent nazir therefore seized the reins of government and all the resources of the state the emperor had troubles enough of his own with delhi and muzaffar had no hope of aid from him he therefore went to satarats court of mahrattas to ask for their assistance there he met chunda sahib this man was the nephew of the last nawab of the carnatic dost ali dost ali had been killed in a battle with them in seventeen thirty nine and they afterwards captured Trichinopoly and took Chunda Sahib, who had commanded their prisoner, and had since kept him at Satara. Had he been at liberty, he would no doubt have succeeded his uncle, whose only son had been murdered, but as he was at Satara, the subadar of the Deccan bestowed the government of the Carnatic upon and warud din chunda sahib and musafa jung put their heads together and agreed to act in concert musafa of course desired the subbadarship of the deccan to which he had been appointed by the court of delhi chandra sahib wanted the nawabship of the carnatic and advised his ally to abandon his intention of asking for mahratta aid and to ally himself with the french a correspondence ensued with duplex 
who seeing the immense advantage it would be to him to gain what would virtually be the position of patron and protector of the sabada of the deccan and the nawab of the carnatic at once agreed to join them muzaffar raised thirty thousand men and chunda sahib six thousand it is always easy in india to raise an army with a certain amount of money and lavish promises marched down and joined a french force of four hundred strong commanded by d'ortuel the nawab advanced against them but was utterly defeated at ambur the french doing pretty well the whole of the work the nawab was killed and one of his sons mahpoos khan taken prisoner the other muhammad ali bolted at the beginning of the fight arcot the capital of carnatic surrendered next day muzaffar jung proclaimed himself subadar of the deccan and appointed chunder sahib nawab of the carnatic muzaffar jung conferred upon duplex the sovereignty of eighty-one villages adjoining the french territory muzaffar after paying a visit to pondicherry remained in the camp with his army twenty miles distance from that place chunder sahib remained as the guest of duplex at pondicherry on the receipt of the news of the battle of ambur mr floyer who is governor at fort st david sent at once to chandra sahib to acknowledge him as nawab which in the opinion of everyone here was a very foolish step muhammad ali had fled to trichinopoly and sent word to mr floyer that he could hold the place and even reconquer the carnatic if the english would assist him i know that admiral boscawan who was with the fleet at fort st david urged mr floyer to do so as it was clear that chunder sahib would be a mere tool in the hands of the french when chunder sahib delayed week after week at pondicherry mr floyer began to hesitate but he could not make up his mind and admiral boscawan who had received orders to return home could no longer act in contravention to them and was obliged to sail the instant the fleet had left and we remained virtually defenceless chandra sahib supplied with troops and money by duplex marched out from pondicherry and joined musafa jung with the avowed intention of marching upon trichinchapali he had done this at once he must have taken the place and it was a question of weeks and days only of our being turned altogether out of southern india nothing indeed could have saved us musafa jung and chandra sahib however disregarding the plan which duplex had marked out for them resolved before marching on trichinopoly to conquer tanjore which is the richest city in southern india the rajah had only a few weeks before made peace with him and he now sent messages to nazir jung musafa's rival in the deccan and to the english imploring their assistance both parties resolved at once to grant it for alone both must have been overwhelmed by the alliance between the two indian princes and the french and their only hope of a successful resistance to this combination was in saving 
Trichinopoly. The march of these allies upon Tanjore opened the road to Trichinopoly, and Captain Cope, with a hundred and twenty men, were at once dispatched to reinforce Muhammad Ali's garrison. Of this little force, he sent off twenty men to the aid of the Raja of Tanjore, and these, under cover of night, passed through the lines of the besiegers and into the city, which was strongly fortified and able to stand a long siege. The English at once entered into a treaty with Nazir Jung, promising him six hundred English troops to assist him in maintaining his sovereignty of the Deccan and in aiding to place Muhammad Ali in the Nawab's ship of the Carnatic. Tanjore held out bravely for some weeks. The Raja had thrown dust in the eyes of Chandra Sahib by pretending to negotiate. Then, when the Allies attacked, he defended the city for fifty-two days, at the end of which one of the gates of the town had been captured, and the city was virtually at the mercy of the besiegers. He again delayed them by entering into negotiations for surrender. In vain, Duplex continued to urge Chandra Saib to act energetically and to enter Tanjore. Chandra Saib, however, although he had a good head for planning, is irresolute in action. His troops were discontented at the want of pay. The French contingent also was demoralized from the same cause. The troops feared to engage in a desperate struggle in the streets of a town abounding with palaces, each of which was virtually a fortress, especially as it was known that Nazir Jung was marching with all speed to fall upon their rear. So at last the siege was broken up and the army fell back upon Pondicherry. Meanwhile, Cope's detachment of a hundred men with six thousand native horsemen escorted muhammad ali to join nazir jung at valdor fifteen miles from, from pondicherry lawrence was busy at work at fort st david organizing a force to go to his aid duplex saw that it was necessary to aid his allies energetically the army on its return from the siege of tanjore was reorganized the French contingent increased to 2,000 men and a supply of money furnished from his private means. The army set out to attack Nazar Jung and his allies at Valdor. When the battle began, however, the French contingent mutinied and refused to fight, and the natives, panic-stricken by the desertion of their allies, fell back at Pondicherry. Chunder Sahib accompanied his men, Muzaffar Jung surrendered to his uncle the usurper. In three or four days, the discipline of the French army was restored, and on the 13th of April, it attacked and defeated a detachment of Nazar Jung's army, and a few days later captured the strong temple at Tiruvati, 16 miles from Fort St. David. Some months passed before the French were completely repaired, but on September the 1st, the Ortil, who commanded the French, and Chandra Sahib attacked the army of the native princesses, 20,000 strong, and defeated it utterly, the French not losing a single man. Muhammad Ali, with only two attendants, fled to Arcot, and the victory rendered Chandra Sahib virtual master of the Carnatic. 
Mustafa Jung, after his surrender to his uncle, had been loaded with chains and remained a prisoner in camp, where, however, he managed to win over several of the leaders of his uncle's army. Jinji was stormed by a small French force, and the French officer there entered into a correspondence with the conspirators, and it was arranged that when the French army attacked Nazur Jung, these should declare against him. On the 15th December, the French commander, with 800 Europeans, 3,000 sepoys, and 10 guns, marched against Nazur Jung, whose army of 25,000 men opposed them. These, however, he defeated easily. While the battle was going on, the conspirators murdered Nazur Jung, released Mosafa Jung, and saluted him as Subada. His escape was a fortunate one, for his uncle had ordered him to be executed that very day. Musafa Jung proceeded to Pondicherry, where he was received with great honors. He nominated Duplex Nawab of the Carnatic and neighboring countries with Chunder Sahib as his deputy, conferred the highest dignities upon him, and granted the French possession of all the lands and forts they had conquered. He arranged with Duplex a plan for common action and agreed that a body of French troops should remain permanently at his capital. End of chapter 5